with phillyisflyer.com. I am your host, Mark Gino, and as always, you can check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, and uh, on thehockeywriters.com. And today we're going to be talking about a very interesting article brought up by uh, Philly is Flyer writer Dan Silver, and he joins me for this episode. Dan, what's up, buddy? Mark, what's going on, man? Everything's great. It's uh, been a great summer. Can't wait for hockey to get going, but uh, it's great. How's your summer been? Uh, no complaints. I, you know, I'm not the biggest summer guy. I don't really like the heat, but I'm kind of dealing with it as best I can. Just waiting, waiting for fall to, uh, to break in the next couple weeks. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, uh, I'm up in upstate New York and it's been a little bit cooler than the summers normally are. I heard it's been pretty hot down in Philly though. Yeah. So you came out on, um, Tuesday here with your Flyers top 15 prospects and, Obviously, you know, we're in this dead period of hockey, so why not talk about it and break it down? Because I think there was a lot of interesting things on this list. I mean, the only one given obvious thing was um, was this Nolan Patrick as number one. So, I mean, everybody who has a list about the Flyers prospects has him at number one. So, let me ask you this first. What was kind of your... Uh, your motivation, your inspiration here to, uh, to write and, uh, put this list together. So back in March, I put a top 10 prospects list together. Uh, the prospects are one of my favorite topics. I like to try and, you know, buy the various Canadian hockey league packages and watch the games in Sweden. So I, it's not many people have a chance to kind of watch these guys on a regular basis. I try and make a habit of it during the, during the season. And now that the flyers have such an unbelievable group of prospects, I mean, ESPN's Corey Cronman, Rank them the number one uh, prospect pipeline in the NHL, and it's it's hard to disagree with that. Um, and so the Flyers have so many good prospects. I did my first list in March. A lot's changed since then. I mean, we got Nolan Patrick. Uh, we traded Braden Shen and got Morgan Frost and another first-round pick. I was able to go to the development camp, which is one of my favorite events of the year. So I included some of that stuff in the top 15 prospects. So it just seemed like a really good opportunity to update the list and there's so many great prospects on this team that I wanted to go 15 deep with it. So I saw as well, obviously, the fact that the Flyers, by ESPN, um, which took me back a little bit, the fact that they even have a guy that puts out a list like that, ranking the uh, the top prospects or whatever in the NHL. But my one little counterpoint to that is, I mean, yeah, it's great and all that you know they have this – this dearth of young talent in the minors and they're all prospects, but that's just the thing. I mean, the same on one hand, it's great to know that you have the number one farm system in the NHL, but on the other hand, you're looking at teams like Toronto that have all this young talent and put it to good use. Same with kind of Edmonton. So on one hand, you're looking at it as like, yeah, we have the best prospects, but on the other hand, you're like, uh, I kind of wish that these prospects would be up with the Flyers, helping them win games instead of, you know, down with the Phantoms. Yeah, but you got to keep in mind that there's two now 20-year-olds on the team, and Ivan Provorov and Travis Konechny, who are, many for many teams, they'd still be considered to be top prospects. So the great thing for the Flyers was that, like, they, they barely missed the playoffs, and they somehow... 2.7% chance of getting the second pick. I think it was like a 7.3% chance of moving into the top three. They somehow, Carmo was on their side. They moved into the top two. They got Nolan Patrick. So you're dealing with a playoff team that has good older veterans like Claude Giroux, Jake Voracek, Wayne Simmons, um, and then has a number of really good rookies or young players, Ivan Provorov, Travis Konechny, 
Shane Gossespierre, Sean Couturier is still a young guy. And now you add to that this group of prospects. And I think you're looking at a team that – because probably at least three or four of the guys on the prospects list that I put out will be on the Flyers this year. So I think you're looking at a team that is going to take a big step forward this year. And because of all these incredible prospects they have, you could be looking at a potential dynasty. I hate to use the word, but – at least a team that you know is going to be a perennial cup contender. I'd say if you look out two to three years from now and then through eight years from now, I think this team will be a cup contender every single one of those years because of the amount of prospects they have and the amount of young guys that are already in the league. Wow. Dynasty. The word dynasty being thrown around. You know, I listen, it's the summer. It's time to get a little bit carried away, right? It's probably not going to be a dynasty, but they're going to have a chance to compete for the Cup every year once some of these guys are up. In one summer, you have compared Morgan Frost to Sidney Crosby and yep. have called the Flyers a dynasty. Potentially. Potential Potentially. dynasty. Potentially. Look, let's, uh, keep the op- let's keep the optimism going. No- neither of us have seen a Stanley Cup during our lifetime. we got to think positive. Let's get some positive vibes going. Well, I've seen replays of it, so I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've watched the game a couple times. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's dive into this list. My, my first little um, – the first thing that stood out to me was the number two selection on your list, and that is my guy um, – we call him Phil because we we don't know if we're not French enough to call him Philippe. So Phil Myers, you put at number two, obviously that would be make him the highest ranking defensive prospect in your mind, um, one spot above Travis Sanheim. So what was uh, what was the thought process there putting Myers above Sanheim? You know, it's really close between Myers and Sanheim in my mind. I, I think that I almost want to start calling Philippe Myers the natural because he is so fluid and natural with everything that he does on the ice. And this is part of why last year in training camp, look, last offseason, he had the same core abdominal surgery that Claude Giroux and Shane Gostisbehere had last offseason. And both of those guys took them a while to get going during the season. Myers had the same procedure done. And in training camp, he was more impressive than Samheim or Moran. He, he stuck around for longer, and it's because everything he does is so smooth and fluid and natural. He, I don't think he has any weaknesses. He's a terrific offensive player. Uh, here's the, he, his shot is not as good as Ghost. Ghost, Ghost has the best slap shot on the team. He's not as good a skater as Ivan Provorov or Travis Samheim. He's probably not as good a passer as Ivan Provorov, but he does everything very well. Plus, he's 6'5", 210. He's a right-handed defenseman. He is – you watch him in the World Junior Championships before he got injured. And he was so highly regarded by the Canadian coach that he was on the top pair for the Canadian World Junior Championships team. And he was dominating. Him, him and Thomas Shabbat, who's one of the top prospects in the league, plays for uh, – he'll be with, with Ottawa this season. But Myers was so good, and then he took the dirty hit from Luke Cunnan. Uh, a wild prospect and knocked him out with a concussion before that in the world juniors he looked incredible Sam Moran was a seventh defenseman in the world juniors for Canada Travis Sanheim was a sixth defenseman I just think that Myers is so good at everything he does where there are still some question marks with Sanheim's positioning and reliability in the defensive zone that that's what made me put Myers ahead of him was that I think Myers is as long as he doesn't have any more concussions? I think that he's a safer bet to be a top pair NHL defenseman than Travis Sanheim. But they're they're both elite defense prospects. How how exactly did Phil Myers go undrafted in 2015? I mean, you, his skill is obvious. I mean, I, I in the little bit I've seen him, and uh, when I was watching him at the development camp. I mean, he stood out. To, he stands out to do immediately. I mean, every time he touches the puck, every time, you know, he's on, you know, defense. You're looking at this guy, and you're just saying, like, even if you've never watched a second of hockey in your life, you look at Phil Myers, and you're like, yeah, this guy's probably he's the best guy on the ice right now. So how a guy with all the skill he has, as fluid as he is, as natural as he is, as you said, 
How the hell did he go undrafted to begin with? It's incredible, right? I mean, he's a 6'5 defenseman who can skate very well. He's a little bit physical. He's good offensively. I, I think that it's it's probably a case of a guy that, that took a while to figure it out. Uh, the year that he could have been drafted, he only had eight points. He was a minus 14. He was on a bad Ruin Miranda Huskies team. Um, you know, he he just had a really bad season. He had some injuries. And for whatever reason, no NHL team took a chance. And then, by the way, he went to the Calgary Flames development camp after the draft, and they didn't even sign him. So the Flames had a chance to sign him. They didn't. He shows up at Flyers, I think, the rookie camp right before training camp. And Ron Hextall, these guys are like, how did no one sign him? They sign him, and now they've got one of the best defense prospects in the league. I mean, he went from being minus 14 in his draft year. The next year, he's plus 52. He he, he turned it around. His plus minus improved 66 points, and he scored Damn. 45 points during the season. So it's clearly steroids, right? <laughs> well, I'll say this. Uh, two years ago, he wasn't. He was on the sidelines of development camp because he was recovering from the off-season right. abdominal surgery. This season at development camp, he was the most jacked player there. Right. I mean, he came in and he looked like a freaking professional bodybuilder. So I think something gone off in his head after the two concussions, and he's like, "I've got to beef up. If I'm going to be in the NHL, I'm going to have forwards taking runs at me left and right." Uh, he he looked uh, like he was in tremendous. He looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So. He's a guy that I think most people are expecting that he's going to start the season with the Phantoms. I think there's a chance he comes in and he's better than Moran, Haig, and Sanheim, it's, which is going to create a very difficult decision for Ron Hextel. I still think he'll probably start the season in the AHL, but obviously I think he's got the highest potential of those four guys. So I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the team out of camp. Speaking of Sam Moran, you have him in number eight, and – the Flyers right now have a very wonderful problem to have in this logjam of young defensemen. You have Moran at number eight, and just outside the top ten, you have Robert Haig at number 11. Um, my whole thing is this. Based on what you know, we both know about Phil Myers and his play, to me, the way I look at it, I feel like Sam Moran, if there was an odd man out, it would be Sam Moran if not for his size. If they were just going based off of skill, I feel like he'd be the odd man out and it would be Myers and Haig that would get in. But you're saying, like, is Sam Moran's size enough to, uh, if, 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 there, if there's a slight, you know, if they're close enough, like him and whoever, him and Phil Myers, him and Robert Haig, is his size enough to jettison him above one of those guys and put him in the uh, the main roster? Yeah, I think so. And remember, there's Sanheim too. So there's basically four guys fighting for two roster spots unless the Flyers are willing to send Andrew McDonald back to the AHL or fire him in a cannon to Mars or whatever. But Sam Moran, here's the thing with him is that – He's he's also uh, he's very physical. He's a good fighter. He's got a nasty streak. He he's gonna get some suspensions in the NHL just because he he can uh, dish out a dirty hit here or there. He can cross check a guy. Not that I'm advocating that, but but you need forwards on the other team to be a little bit scared of going in the offensive zone with their heads down. And Radko Gudis obviously is a guy currently on the Flyers and signed for the next few seasons who instills fear in opposing forwards. I think Robert Haig, no doubt, has a better skill set than Sam Morant. Morant's skill set is the fourth of those four defensemen you mentioned. But as a third-pairing defenseman and as a penalty killer, he's going to be a guy that can single-handedly kill off penalties because of his reach, uh, his nastiness. People are not going to go in front of the net when Morant's there. He's going to punish them. So I think that as a third-pairing defenseman, Morant is a guy that probably has a better chance long-term of sticking with the Flyers than Haig, just because I think Haig's skill set is a little bit more easily replaced, whereas it's hard to find a 6'7", 230-pound defenseman who can fight and is physical on the penalty kill and on a third pair. So that's where I think that Morant has an advantage because we don't need him to be a top pair or second pair defenseman. We have 
uh, Provorov. We have Myers. We have Ghostus Gostas Bear. We have uh, Sanheim. We've got Gudis. So, you know, I, I think that Moran's in pretty, pretty safe shape unless he comes up and he just can't adjust to the speed of the NHL game. He's a good skater, but his decision-making is a little lacking, and he's not the greatest passer. He's okay. Um, so I think that I think there's a chance he could flame out and be a bust, but more likely I think he'll settle in as like a third-pair defenseman, penalty killer, to instill fear into opponents. I went to a game in Boston in January, and sitting up at the stands and I'm watching Zdeno Chara, and my comment to my buddies was that everybody, every team in the NHL should be allotted one Zdeno Chara. They should find a way to clone him so everybody gets one. Um, is there any comparisons other than size between Moren and Chara? I mean, it's interesting because Chara, you know, four years ago, Chara is one of the best defensemen in the league. He took a while to develop. Uh, I I don't think that Sam Moran has the the skill set that Chara has. I think Chara is a big guy who, at this point in his career, is more of a can be a a, um, a liability at times. But five years ago, Chara was one of the most valuable players in the league. I don't think Moran has that skill set. But in terms of the nasty nastiness and someone that opposing forwards are scared of and don't want to go in the corners with and might hesitate taking a shot at Travis Konechny on the boards or Nolan Patrick. Uh, I think that Moran's a guy who's going to play that role of, of, of uh, you know, protecting his teammates. I don't think he's got the upside of Chara, but Hey, you know what? When Chara was Sam Moran's age, people didn't think that Chara would turn into that kind of defenseman. So who, who knows? Maybe he will. You, um, so getting off of the defenseman, but still staying on, um, people trying to keep the puck out of the net <laughs> number six and this is probably of the entire list this is probably where you're going to get the most um flack from other people because there's this there's this um love obsession with carter hart because of how much he's been tearing it up in the uh whl but so you put him one spot below Carter Hart, number seven, and at number six, the other netminder, Felix Sandstrom. What is it about Sandstrom that stands out to you so much above Carter Hart? Because you've said this before. Yeah, it's, you know, look, I'll, I'll get into my rationale uh, in a moment, but a lot of it's it's gut, gut instinct and feeling when watching these guys. So, um, like, here's the reality. Felix Sandstrom's been playing against older players against professionals in the Swedish Hockey League. It's probably the third best league in the world behind the NHL and the Continental Hockey League. It's probably about on par with the AHL. Carter Hart's been playing in the WHL, which is the most watered down of the three Canadian Junior Leagues. So, yes, you would expect that Carter Hart is going to have better statistics than Felix Sandstrom, and he does. They're much better. Carter Hart is basically playing video game hockey with his statistics in the WHL. He's been incredible. Felix Sandstrom's stats aren't quite as flashy. Here's my thing. I've seen these three goaltenders together on the same – these two goalies, I've seen them together on the same stage three times. Two development camps and the World Junior Championships. So obviously the World Junior Championships is the uh, best comparison because they're both representing their countries. They're playing with the, they're the best players under 20 years old in the world. And – Felix Sandstrom, he's a year older than Carter Hart, so you'd expect maybe he'd play a little better. But this year, Felix Sandstrom was incredible in the World Juniors. He was named the top goaltender in the World Juniors. And you have to consider that Ilya Samsonov, who's regarded as one of the top two goalie prospects in the world for the Capitals, I believe, uh, he was in the same tournament. Sandstrom won best goalie in the tournament. He was tremendous. Carter Hart? Not so much. He had a really good Canada, uh, Canadian team playing in front of him. And he was okay in some games, but not very good in other games. So Sandstrom clearly outplayed Carter Hart at the World Juniors. Then the last two development camps, to me, Sandstrom has been better than Hart. This year, Felix Sandstrom to me was the best player in development camp. I put out an article on at Phileas Flyer after the development camp, ranking the top, I don't know, six or seven guys at the camp. Felix Sandstrom didn't let any pucks in the net. 
The guy was absolutely incredible. In the championship, it was Team White, which was the Russians, against Sandstrom's team, I think Team Black. And he basically carried the team on his shoulders. He didn't let up a goal until late in the uh, the championship of the development camp tourney. He's so athletic. Uh, it's So he's outperformed Cart every time I've seen them together. And I just sort of have a gut. It's hard to judge goalies, right? There's so many different factors at play. Um I just have a gut feeling that Felix Sandstrom is going to end up being the Flyers franchise goalie. Was that, well, let me ask you this. What was, when you're sitting there, you're looking over all of the prospects and you're putting this list together. What was the hardest um, ranking that you, uh, that you put on that one that you really had to sit there and think about before you actually typed it out? I think that, Okay, so there's a couple. Uh, Philippe Myers and Travis Sanheim is very difficult. I, I love both those players. I've compared Tra- Travis Sanheim in the offensive zone. He looks like Peter Forsberg. Right. He when he when he gets going, it's it's unbelievable. He's swooping around the offensive zone. He's walking the blue line. He's making incredible passes. He made such great strides this season, Travis Sanheim, um, in the defensive zone that I thought of all the Flyers' defenseman prospects, he made the biggest drives in the past season. So those rating those two guys was very difficult. Um, and then, what else? Let's see. Um, you know, Moran Haig is a little difficult. I, I think I have Moran a little higher just because I think he's going to fit in better with what the Flyers need, especially soon. Mikhail Vorobiev is, is good. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, when you get to the bottom of the list, it's very difficult, right? I'd say top, through the top 11, Ending with Robert Haig, it's it's fairly easy for me. But then you get into some of these guys that are a little bit harder to project. Um, you know, I'd Wade Allison number twelve, Tanner Lazinski thirteen, Anthony Stolars, and Isaac Ratcliffe. The bottom of the list is a little more difficult uh, for me to put together. I love Isaac Ratcliffe because of his size, and yeah. you you see a guy that big, and you wouldn't expect him to have as much skill with the puck as he does. So that. That's what impressed me most uh, when I watched him play. But I know you love uh, German Rupsov. You're real big on the Russians on this list. Um, <clears throat> what is it about him that stands out so much? You have him ranked fifth on the list. He he is uh, he closes out the top five. So you know sometimes you you talk about professional athletes and some of them have it right. It's hard to describe what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Brady has it right. Yeah. Donovan McNabb probably didn't have it. It just it's this thing that separates some athletes from others. You and just know. Yeah, you just know, exactly. When you watch German Rupsov, he plays with so much passion and so much excitement and exuberance, and he's so skilled that I just think if he stays healthy, I think he's gonna be a real spark plug and leader for the Flyers. And at the development camp, uh you know, he's a guy, he was stuck over in the KHL as an underage player, not getting much ice time. They finally let him out of his contract. He came over. He played with Chikatimi, uh, I'm probably not pronouncing that name right, of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And he, he put up 22 points in 16 games. He's very good there. Then he had an upper body injury at the end of the season. He's had a lot of injuries. Development camp, he was, he was great. I mean, he, he led Team White, uh, the Russians, to the finals in the development camp tournament. But just you watch him play, he wants the puck on his stick. He's got so much skill, putting pucks in the net, making great passes. He was the only guy in the development camp that started mixing it up physically. He wanted to win. I think his compete level is off the charts, and I'm really excited to see what happens. He's eligible for the AHL this season because he was. there's a weird rule if you're drafted out of the some of the European leagues. You can come over and play in the AHL uh, before the age of 20. But I think I think Hextall play the conservative um, path with Rupsov and start him you know, back in the Quebec League. And I can't wait to see what he has with the full season there. He's going to be the, the top-line center or winger for uh, Chikatimi. And um, I just think he's got a great skill set. He's a good two-way forward. He's fast. Uh, he's just an exciting player to watch. I think Flyers fans are really going to like Garibon Rupsov. You had him just below Oscar Lindblom. You had him at number four. Was that one of the tougher decisions, or is 
you pretty confident Lindbaum is that much ahead of him? I guess I guess so, since because you had Lindbaum starting the season with uh, with the Flyers. Yeah, well, you know what's one of the actually one of the biggest changes from my initial list in March to this one was in March I had Oscar Lindbaum Lindblom as the number one prospect on the Flyers, hmm. and it's I think it's just a change in mindset for me. Um, at the development camp, Lindblom was didn't really stand out. Um, I, I think maybe I had been overrating him a little bit. I think that. He, he was phenomenal in the Swedish Hockey League. He was um, he is a 20-year-old in the Swedish Hockey League playing against older players. He had 47 points. That was third in the league. The only two guys with more points in him were a 28-year-old and a 32-year-old. Henrik Zetterberg, this, at the same age, in the same league, scored 46 points. Lindball had 47. So he's, you look at some of these comparables and you watch him play. He does everything well. He's great along the boards. He's got great finishing skills in front of the net. I think he's eventually, I think he'll be the favorite to take that Braden Shen slot role on the first power play because uh, he's a left-hand shot, which sets up well for those one-timers from Claude Giroux. And I think that Lindblom has such a complete all-around game that he's almost a lock to start the season with the Flyers. Probably third, second or third line winger is what I would guess. Uh, but I think his upside is not quite as high as a Sandheim or a Meyer, so that's why I moved him down to four. But he's Oscar Lindblom has a very high floor because of how good of an all-around player he is. So he, I think the top four were pretty clear-cut, and then I think it's it's a little bit further down to Rupsov. But eventually, I think there's a chance that Rupsov is a more valuable player for the Flyers. So of the. Um... You had a few players that I like. I like how you put the um, the ETA on all these guys. You kind of guessed where when we can expect to see them with the Flyers, and yeah. obviously the top four. You have definitely, or you have opening day twenty seventeen, which is obviously this year. So of that list, it's Lindblom, it's Patrick, it's Sanheim, and it's Myers. Which of those guys would you say has the most chance of being bounced from that list and starting with the Phantoms? Okay, so I think the most likely of those four guys to start the season with the Flyers is Oscar Lindblom. I think he's got the most all-around game, and I think he'll definitely start the season with the Flyers. Nolan Patrick, I'd say, is second. I mean, he's... I think Bob McKenzie came out, and he said, you know, Nolan Patrick is so advanced physically for his for his age and he was uh you know if he was a few days younger he would have been eligible for the draft in 2016 so as long as he's healthy which is a question mark i think that he'll start the season with the flyers the defensemen are tricky right because most people right now sam Morant and robert Haig, based on their seniority are the two guys with the first shot to make the flyers and it's most people would think that maybe sandheim and myers are going to start the season in the ahl for for myers just to be fair i put opening day slash midseason so right. i think it's more likely that myers starts in the ahl i think travis sanheim is just going to be too good in camp uh and i think they're going to have to find a way to have him on the opening day roster i could be wrong but so i think sanheim would be third most likely and then myers will probably start the season in the in the ahl but i think that you know defensemen get injured uh, i think that there's going to be some openings early on and I think at some point this season, we'll see all four of those Flyers defense prospects on the roster. Who's the dark horse on this list? The guy that people really aren't talking about too much, but uh, a guy you think deserves more conversation than he's getting. Or maybe he's not getting the conversation because a lot of people just don't really know about him. Uh, Mikhail Vorobiev, who, or Vorobiev, he changed the spelling of his last name. From changed the y spelling of it? Yeah, yeah, so it was V-O-R-O-B-Y-O-V, and then he came out a couple months ago and said he changed, changing it to V-O-R-O-B-Y-E-F, but I think it's still pronounced Vorobiev. Anyway, hmm. however you pronounce it, he's, uh, he, he's awesome. I mean, here's – okay, so he – how about this? He, in the World Junior Championships, he led the tournament in assists, right? Here's the last five players to lead – the World Junior Championships and assists. Vorobiev did it this past year. He was the 104th overall pick. 
The year before, it was Jesse Pooley-Yarvey, fourth overall pick. The year before that, Connor McDavid, best player in the world. The year before that, Tuvo Teravainen, who was the 18th overall pick. And the year before that, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the first overall pick. So, you're, I mean, he, I don't know. He didn't, these are incredible hockey players that he's on a list with as leading the world juniors in assists. Nobody talks about him. He's a 6'2", 200-pound Russian center. He's going to stick at center. Rupsov may move to wing, but right. Vorobyov is going to be a center. I think his floor is third-line center for the Flyers. He's a great skater. He's a very good passer. He's really good two-way play. His on-ice vision is very good. I think that in a few years, you're going to see a line with Vorobyov at center and Rupsov at left wing. You're going to see those two Russians. Maybe we can find another Russian to play on the right wing with them. Um, I'd love to see Vorobyov, Konechny, and Rupsov. That would be an exciting line. But I think he, he's a guy that not many people talk about, and he's going to be in the AHL this year. The Flyers signed into a contract. So he'll start in the AHL. He'll probably play there for a full season. I think next year he will be, uh, in 2018-2019, he'll be on the Flyers as a third or fourth line center. And and he's got a very high floor. And I think he's got some upside too. So I, I really like Vorobiev. Um, you, you caught me off guard there. When did uh, when did Sidney Crosby give up the title of best in the world? <laughs> I mean, who was MVP this year? Wasn't it uh, Connor McDavid? I think uh, I... Crosby's going off back-to-back cups. Not that I yeah. want to defend the guy, but yeah. And we still haven't gotten to the guy that you know that I love comparing to, to Sidney Crosby. But um, look, Crosby <laughs> and, and McDavid are one too. You could put it in any order you want. But I think that uh, if you told me that we were playing pond hockey and we were going to be playing uh, a pond hockey game, and we're going three-on-three, three, and i got to pick a player to start out with, I'm taking Connor McDavid. I mean, his skills are yeah. so incredible. Um, you know, real quick, the other unheralded guy, or I don't know if unheralded is more or more sort of like controversial is Morgan Frost, right? Because the Flyers sent Braden Shen packing in the offseason, kind of a shocking trade during the draft. They got two first-round picks. One this year, one next year, although I think it's top 10 protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they used it to pick Morgan Frost, who wasn't even projected to be in the first round by a lot of people. But I, you watch him play, you watch the highlights. Uh, and It's ridiculous. He, yeah, like what I said, what, it, what, what's ridiculous? The highlights or what I'm about to say, which you know, is that he, the way he plays is, <laughs> is like Sidney Crosby. There you go. I'm serious. Watch the highlights. He's got a low center of gravity. He's right. very good at stick handling in traffic. He's got great acceleration. He's never going to be as good as Sidney Crosby. He's not doesn't have that kind of talent. But playing style, look, when I play roller hockey, my playing style is very reminiscent of Timo Solani. That doesn't mean that I'm gonna. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm gonna make the NHL Hall of Fame, right? But you might. I. That's true. It's true. Maybe it's I have a mind time, over matter but... thing. You got to just go for it. <laughs> but when you when you watch. Uh, Morgan Frost highlights the way he plays is like Sidney Crosby. I think he's gonna guy. He's on a uh, he's on a loaded Salt Saint Marie Greyhounds team in the OHL this year. Uh-huh. He's gonna have a huge year. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a top five Flyers prospect at this time next year. So he's a guy I really like. So I'd say Vorobiev and Frost are probably the the two most unheralded guys who I think are better than a lot of people think. Morgan Frost might be one of the most hated Flyers draft picks ever. <laughs> Just because that was the pick that they got for Braden Chen, and yep. all the uh, the crazy Shen lovers that uh, my girlfriend's friend actually came up to me and she's like, I don't know who to root for. She's like, I don't know who to like on the Flyers anymore because they got rid of Braden Chen. And I'm like, okay, well, first <sighs> of all, I'm like, that was the wrong choice to begin with, but. And then I got to go into this list of players better than him that he she should be looking at. But Braden Shen, um, you know, I, I, I hope I, I think soon enough people are going to realize that Morgan Frost was the right move to make there. And the trade was the, the trade that just had to be made. And we, it's, it's such a dead topic, I think, at this point. There's no point in diving any further into it. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. They got two first-round picks for, for Braden Shen, and uh, they're going to get some salary relief when Yuri Latera's contract runs out. They got Latera in the trade. His contract runs out a year before Shen's would have. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to sign Wayne Simmons 
potentially in the next few years. They're going to have to sign Ivan Provorov's going to cost $7 million a year. Whenever they sign him, they're going to have to sign him. And I don't know if it's next off season. It might be. Um, so they're going to, you know, they're going to need some money to sign some of these guys. And like Braden Shen is, he's never been one of my favorite flyers. He's very subpar, even strength. Uh, he's very good on the power play, but the way that the flyers power play was, um, I think there's probably a number of people who you could insert in that role and maybe they won't be quite as good, but they'll probably still score 70% of the goals that Braden Shen did on the power play. So I think it was a great trade and the flyers, I think at this point, Ron Hextall and his scouting staff have earned our confidence based on what they've done. And so when they say that, I think the, uh, the quote I'll find it here on Morgan Frost was that there are very few guys where our whole staff likes the guy and our whole staff liked Frost. So when Hextall says that, you gotta, you know, you gotta put some credence in that. Right. Um, speaking of Hextall, who was a former goalie, and we're gonna talk about the third goalie that made your list that really made my eyes pop when I saw his name, and that was at number fourteen, one Anthony Stolarz. Um <laughs> You still consider him top fifteen prospect for the Flyers? So, yeah, absolutely. I think Stolarz is an interesting case because well, he is a second round pick. I think under the uh, Holmgren era, yeah, two year two years ago he was really good in the AHL. He his NHL numbers of like his NHL numbers are really good. You mm-hmm. look at uh, let's see, last year I've got it here. His stats last year. Um, he played in seven games. He went two one and one with a nine twenty eight save percentage and a two point zero seven goals against average. It's pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd no, take that's it. that's it's tremendous. That's if over a full season, that's Vezina Trophy winning numbers. Now right. the problem for Stolarz was that he was not very good for the Phantoms, and uh, his save, his goals against average was almost three, and he got injured at the end of the year. He hurt his knee. They didn't go into specifics about what exactly happened. I think he had knee surgery. Who knows? You know, the famed lower body injury. Yeah. Uh, so, And he's 23 years old. So it's a pivotal year for Stolarz. He, his health is uncertain. He's going to have to come in a training camp. And he's not going to start the season with the Flyers unless Brian Elliott or Neuwirth gets injured in, in training camp. Uh, but he should be the starter with the Phantoms, him, or, you know, him and Alex Lyon who could have made the list too. They're, they're both sort of in a similar spot. Um, both those guys are going to they'll, they'll split time with the Phantoms. And when inevitably Neuberth gets injured during the season, whoever's playing better is going to come up. And, uh, you know, Stolarz conceivably could uh, be the backup for the Flyers by the end of the year. They could trade Neuberth. Um, but it's a pivotal year for him. But it's, it's you can't forget that he is a huge 6'6 goalie who was a second-round pick who's had – a very good season in the AHL. He's coming off a subpar year, but he could rebound, and, and uh, I think he still has a potential to be a starter in the NHL. So you can't – I don't think it's – you can't give up on him yet. Right. Who is the guy that um that just missed the top 15? Who's, like, the 16th guy that you have? Uh, I'll give you two. One is Alex Lyon, the other goalie with the Phantoms. He's a year older than Stolarz. Um He's, uh, you know, I think that he'll, it wouldn't surprise me if he turns out to be better than Stolarz. Um, the, 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 the one guy who probably sticks out is Pascal LaBerge. He was the Flyers second round pick last year and he sustained a unbelievably brutal injury, uh, on a cheap hit, um, about a quarter of the way through the season in the Quebec Major Junior League. I think he's on Victoriaville, maybe. And uh, it took him a while to recover. He came back a little early, and then he sat out again. He never really got going. He's a guy who's got a lot to prove. Um, He's got a lot of skill. He looked a lot better last year in development camp to me than he did this year. So that, that concussion he took off of a brutal hit maybe has him playing a little bit more hesitantly. And I think he's going to have to really come in and have a great year in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League to get back on the rankings list. But he's capable of it. It's just uh, – I don't know if you saw the hit, but it was it was one of the dirtiest hits I've ever seen. And 
he, he's still got to prove that he's going to come back from that. So I think Pascal LeBaire is just the one guy that skill-wise probably could have on the list, but he's got a lot to prove this year. All right, I think we touched on pretty much everybody on the list except two. And I'm going to start with the name that I actually can pronounce. That's <laughs> number 12, Wade Allison. What What can you uh, tell fans? Because I feel like Wade Allison's a guy that a lot of people may not know about. So what can you tell fans about Wade Allison and why he's number 12 on the list? Wade Allison was a... Uh, they took him late in the second round last year. He's a guy that could be could be a, a real good uh, goal scorer sniper for the Flyers, or he might never make the NHL. Uh, last year, he was a freshman at Western Michigan University. He scored 12 goals, 19 assists, plus six. He was very inconsistent. He had some, you know, two weeks spurts where he scored a bunch of goals, and then he went radio silent for a month. Uh, but that's to be expected from a freshman in college. He last year at development camp, I thought he was very good driving the net. He's got great hands around the net. This year in development camp, he didn't really do much to stand out to me. So that was a negative for me. But so he's, I think he's a guy that's kind of plagued by inconsistency at this point in his career. But he's a winger who will drive the net. He's got above average speed. He's got a really, really good shot. Um, I think he's got to keep honing his game at Western Michigan. And this will be a big year for him. I think hopefully he'll, he'll take a step forward. But he's a guy that, that eventually could be that, you know, Flyers fans love talking about how we don't have any snipers, right? We, we've got all these guys who are playmakers. We keep drafting two-way centers, draft Gaturier and then Scott Lawton and, and uh, German Rupsov when we could have taken these snipers. Clearly, it's the kind of player that Hextall likes. He likes guys who can play, uh, you know, both ends of the rink. And that, does, that doesn't mean we don't need goal scorers. Uh, Wade Allison could be one of those guys that, that turns into someone who can put the puck in the net, uh, even strengthen on the power play. Um, the guy I assume you're talking about uh, next on the list is Tanner Luzinski. Yes. Yep. So he's a guy who, as a freshman at Ohio State, he was actually really good. He had 10 goals, 22 assists. He was a point-of-game player. He played on the U.S. World Junior team, and he was really good there, too. He, I think he put up two points in seven games, but they relied on him a lot in a lot of big spots. Uh, the U.S. team won the gold medal, beating Carter Hart in the finals at the World Juniors. And Lazinski's a guy who – he his ceiling is not huge. Um, he's got above-average skating. His stick handling's okay. He's got good offensive awareness. But he, he doesn't have a huge ceiling, but he could be a guy that plays on the, the third or fourth line for the Flyers um, and is kind of like a role player. You need, you need players like that. It's, but he's only 20. Maybe he does have more upside than I'm giving him credit for. But um, he's a very solid player, and I think that uh, you know, he could eventually develop into a bottom six forward for the Flyers. So I, I like Tanner Lezinski a lot. You know what's funny is this farm system was so bad five years ago. Mm-hmm. That a guy like Tan- Tanner Lozinski would probably have been like a top five guy, but they're so deep that you've got a guy who played on the World Juniors for the U.S. and played a big role for them, and he's thirteen on the list. You know, I think um, Ed Snyder would be kind of rolling over in his grave a little, or he probably is with all the uh, you mentioned earlier the uh, line of Russians that you uh, <laughs> you won so yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's interesting if you think about it. Um, Hextall has been extremely patient, and Ed Snyder was kind of known for I don't know if he was behind it, but he would. The Flyers always used to make big trades at the deadline, right? They traded a first round pick and Maxim Willette, who was their goalie of the future at one point, for Adam Oates. Like, who was at the end of his career and was had a contract that was expiring, and it was like one of the worst trades in the history of the NHL, in my opinion. And they kept they'd make trades like that. Ron Hextall, I don't think to this point he's made a single trade involving a draft pick where he didn't get a draft pick back. So I don't, he basically has not traded a single draft pick for a player. Um, he's been very patient, and I wonder if Ed Snyder was still around if if that would have been allowed, you know, I don't know. But, um, 
But I mean, look, Ed Snyder's the most important figure in the history of the Flyers. He, he there wouldn't be the Flyers if it wasn't for Ed Snyder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a little impatient at times. So um, you know, Hextall's been able to be very patient and build up this incredible group of prospects that we've got. Let's get into this uh, a matter you brought up a little bit ago, and that is the uh, the contract of Wayne Simmons. It's coming up a little. It's coming up soon, within the next couple of years, that they're going to have to make a decision on whether or not they resign him. Um, where do you stand on that? Is this is is Wayne Simmons a guy that you would give a longer contract to for more money, or is it a guy that you would try to you know deal at the deadline and uh, try to get some assets for? You know, that's, I think that's fascinating. It's one of the most important questions, probably, that Ron Hextall. It's one of the toughest decisions he's going to have to make. So, Wayne Simmons is signed for $4 million through 2019. So, he's got uh, this year and then next year. So, um, two years from now, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He's on an incredible contract. He's His market worth is probably around six and a half, seven million a year. So the Flyers are getting an absolute steal there. Mm-hmm. They, uh, he's probably gonna, I'm sure he'll be good this year. I'm sure he'll probably be good next year. And he's the kind of player that NHL general, general managers love, right? He's a guy that stands up for his teammates. He's physical. He scores goals, kills penalties. He can do just about everything. And I think someone is going to offer him a lot of money. And, Ron Hextall, to this point, has been very financially responsible. Um, they've got Giroux signed at $8.2 million through 2022. They've got Voracek signed at $8.2 million through 2024. How many Albatross contracts do you do you want? Especially when Ivan Provorov's going to be a, a free agent the same offseason that Wayne Simmons is going to be a free agent. They're going to have to pay Provorov, like I said, $6.5 million a year probably. Konechny is going to be a restricted free agent that same offseason. Travis Sanheim, Philippe Myers, they're both going to be restricted free agents that same offseason. So there's going to be a lot of guys that um, the Flyers are going to have to sign. They do have some money coming off the books. Phil Pula's $5 million is coming off the books in 2018 after this offseason. Matt Reed's $3.6 million is coming off the books. Um, You know, and then the following season – Raffles coming off the books and Yuri Laterra, so they'll have some money. But it's going to be re- it's going to be really fascinating. I think that if Ron Hextall decides that he's not going to spend six and a half million for Wayne Simmons, that he could try and trade him. I have a feeling he's going to end his career with the Flyers, and they're going to find out a way, figure out a way to get it done. Um, but, but it's not a given because teams out there, there's a team out there that's going to offer him a six-year deal for $6 million a year. And yeah, is Ron Hextall going to want to do that? I don't know. So, Adam, what do you think? I mean, all all I'm gathering from what you're saying, and you're laying out all the salaries for Drew and Voracek, and all it tells me is one of those guys have to be moved. Even if you have to take a loss, even have to eat some of the salary, with all the guys that are coming up that year, two years from now, for free agency, you mentioned – Proveroff, you mentioned um, Konechny and Myers and Sanheim. With all these young, talented guys that are all going to need to get paid at the same time, I mean, maybe not this year, but going into next season is when you're really going to have to evaluate which one of these guys we can move in terms of Voracek and in terms of uh, Giroux. Even if we have to eat a little bit of salary, whatever, one of those guys is going to have to get moved here unless they come out this season and blow the doors off and, you know, far exceed expectations of, I think, what most people have set for them at this point in their careers and how they've played over the last couple seasons. Um, if Wayne Simmons keeps up what he's been doing the last two years, if he comes out again this year and puts up another 30-plus goal season, you can make an argument for where to where the Flyers should sign should try to re up with him next offseason, get ahead of the game. And if they have to move Drew or Voracek to do it, then I'm all for it. Because I mean, 
at the same time, like if you get that, if you get to the end of his contract, he's going to be thirty years old, uh, Wayne Simmons. So, are you really going to want to see? It's it's hard because you're really going to want to commit six years, six million a year to a thirty year old player who eventually is going to hit some sort of a wall. I mean, he's not going to be putting up thirty goals forever, but I think he, the way he plays. He will be more productive for the Flyers longer than I will say Voracek because I think Giroux is a guy that's he's going to be making plays forever. He's just one of those guys. He may not do it with the frequency he once did, but he's always going to have that flash. But I think I think that long term Wayne Simmons gives you more upside than a guy like Jay Voracek will. Yeah, I don't know. It's I mean. Vortex signs for 2024. I mean, that's think about that. I mean, that's what is that seven more seasons? That's bad. Jerus signed for five more seasons. So it's uh, you just have to hope that the decline that these guys have had is. I thought Vortex was going to have a huge bounce back year last season, and it it just didn't happen. Um, Drew, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe the injuries played a part, the off season surgery, but these guys are going to have to show something. And, you know, I think that again, there's a lot of money expiring, but, um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to get a little tricky from a salary perspective. Though Here's one good thing about the young defensemen in their contracts. So Ivan Prover, I was going to have to get paid, right? They, he's, he's the best defenseman on the team. They're going to have to pay him. I'd say six and a half million, seven year deal. But because, Defensemen a lot of times get paid on points. So Shane Gostisbehere is going to eat up a lot of points on the power play. So a guy like Travis Sanheim and Myers, they're not going to get a ton of first unit power play time, which will keep their points total somewhat down, which means we might not have to pay them quite as much when their contracts are up. So that's one good thing. Um, But, yeah, I mean, look, there's going to be some definite contract finagling and finessing that Ron Hextall is going to have to do over the next three to four years when some of these young guys are up for deals and Simmons uh, is up in free agency. We're really going to, we're really about to see just what Ron Hextall is like made of as a GM. Cause we saw his drafting abilities. We saw how he rebuilt the farm system and it's great. We're all for it. We all love it. But uh, like, like we just said, in the next couple of years, he's going to have to really get into some like real general managing of a team. And it's not just from a player evaluation and a player scouting perspective, but from a financial, how do we finagle the cap? How do we finagle the contracts to get to keep the guys we need? That, that Voracek contract is atrocious. 2024 is ridiculous. He's not going to be worth anywhere near what he's going to be making. Um, probably even like two year, two to three years from now, he's not going to be worth a fraction of what he's going to be making. So they have to find some way somehow. And maybe this year, because you saw last year when he played with Philpola, he you know picked up his game up a little bit and he had some production with him. So maybe if they pair them together again and – that gives a boost, maybe to Voracek's play, and it gives a boost to his numbers. Maybe you could try to move him. I don't know, but they have to figure, not even from a perspective of signing anybody else, from a perspective of you can't have Jake Voracek making what he's making till 2024 if you're the Flyers. And if you're going to deal him, you're going to have to eat that some of that contract, probably like 50% of it. But, I mean, it's it, that's a that's a a necessary evil that you're going to have to just accept for him just having a bad contract because in the long run, it's just going to help your team. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's really hard to figure out what, what's going to happen with these guys. And I think, again, the best case scenario is that they rebound. Uh, they're still fairly young. Vortex's 28. I think Giroux's 29. So there's still some upside there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think that it's uh, it's going to be difficult to 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 get someone to take on those salaries. You're, like you said, the Flyers are probably going to have to eat half of the salaries. Uh, you know, I don't know. You've got Andrew McDonald's salary, which he's not a free oh. agent until 2020. 
So he's a guy that I'm guessing that they'll buy out maybe at the end of next next year, maybe a year from now. He will have been bought out. Um, that salary is an albatross. But, uh, look, I don't know. I mean, the Blackhawks have figured out a way to do it uh, with having a couple big salaries, but those players are still producing, obviously. Um, I think the Flyers will be able to figure it out. I think they've got enough young guys that, that they're all not going to have to get huge contracts. But, but yeah, I mean, make no bones about it. There's no easy answers. I don't have a good answer for you about what they're going to be able to do with Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek two years from now. I, I, I don't know. Ron Hextel's going to have to try to work some magic because those guys are clearly two years from now. Uh, hopefully the decline is not as steep as it's been for them the last few years. But if it is, whew, watch out. I mean, they're, you know, yeah, scary. The day, and it's going to happen. I don't know what the deal is going to be or anything like that. But the day that Claude Giroux gets traded from the Flyers is going to be one of, like, on Twitter especially, it's going to be one of the most black and white, like, fight back and forth (laughs) that ever. Like, that's probably when you're going to start to see a little bit of backlash to... Ron Hextall, because people just love Claude Giroux, obviously, but I, and I think there's a lot of blind loyals, loyalists out there to Claude Giroux, and they just expect him. I think they look at him through the same glasses that Peter Laviolette looked at him in that one playoff run when he called him the best in the world. So it's going to be a fun day. When they actually do trade him, the backlash is going to be fun to just sit back and watch, I think. But... You know yeah. how Flyers fans get. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's more likely that Voracek gets traded eventually. Um, I, I don't know. Yes, it, it will not be a fun day when I've got two Claude Giroux jerseys. He's, so uh, you know, one of my yeah, he's one of my favorite players. He's, um, but his decline at five on five has been staggering the last mm-hmm. few years. I mean, he's should have no no excuses this year. He didn't have any kind of off season surgery. Um, so we'll see. I'm hoping, you know what, I'm hoping maybe some of these young guys kind of reinvigorate Giroux. Maybe Nolan Patrick takes some of the tough minutes that Claude Giroux is playing at even strength. Um, and, you know, maybe a guy like Oscar Lindblom plays with Giroux. And when when Wheel, Wheel was really good at the end of last season. He mm-hmm. was playing with Giroux, and they were really good together. Uh, so that could be a p- potential combo there. I'm hoping that Giroux can have a bounce-back season, you know. I don't know. I mean, it all remains to be seen. It's going to be a very, very pivotal year in the career of Claude Giroux. But, Dan, once again, that was a great top 15 you put out. It was a lot of information. I think you taught me something a guy, as a guy that doesn't subscribe to all the packages you do and um, to watch all these prospects. So you are uh, you're like a superhero to Flyers fans <laughs> because you're you're keeping track of of uh, the players that most fans aren't. So I have to I have to salute you and thank you for that. A great list again. Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's look look your podcast is awesome. It's great. It's great that we get to sit here and talk about this in the middle of summer. Talk about these prospects that Ron Hextall has brought into the fold. Uh, you know, I keep saying it in my articles, but man, the future is so bright for this fan franchise that it's it's just terrific. It really is. So, Dan, if um, obviously you, as we know, you you write great articles for PhillyIsFlyer.com. How could um, I know that the the big term these days is hot takes. Where where can people find your hot takes on Twitter? What's your handle? Uh, so my Twitter handle is at dsilver88, the 88, of course, for Eric Lindros. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, throw me a follow. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you'll be, you'll be getting some hot takes and some articles. We've got a great crew over at phileasflyer.com. Check it out, www.phileasflyer.com. There's just, you know, I think we're probably up over a hundred articles that we've put out since we started the site. Um, there's just a bevy of, um, information there for Flyers fans and great articles, some controversial. So, so check it out. Uh, and, um, you know, yeah, it's been great. Me and, uh, you know, Anthony DeGrazio, uh, started the site earlier this year, asked me to come on board and it's just, it's just been phenomenal. So, um, and we really appreciate your partnership with the, with the podcast. It's been terrific. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I can only, 
I can only promise the people listening and the people that read uh, com that once the season gets kicked off, I know, me personally, I have tons of ideas to take this podcast to a new level and, in turn, also take com to a new level, so it's going to be fun. As oh, for that me, sounds great. Yep. As for me, uh, on Twitter... That's at Mark Flagman, two N's. Follow the show at underscore getting bullied. We'll be back next week with another captivating Flyers conversation. So until then, uh, let's go Flyers.